The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 5, if you will. Uh, Today we're going to look at this remarkable story. Last week we saw how Jesus, Messiah, Emmanuel demonstrates his power over all creation and we recognize that in our lives there are times that we have to admit we have absolutely no power to control the storms that come into our lives and we have to depend on him. This week we're going to look at the second demonstration that Mark as he writes his gospel displays that the other area in our lives that we need to recognize that we have no control over but we're totally dependent on him is in that area where we have the adversary that is working well over time not only to uh, come against us in our life but come against the mission that God Jesus has given to the church to win disciple and sin and that is Jesus demonstrates his absolute power over demons and Satan who is the ruler of this world system. I did some searches this last week, went on Amazon and I had to be careful because I recognize that as I'm searching for a gift for my wife, she and I share the same computer and as I searched out a couple of things, and I'm not going to tell you what they were because I don't trust you not to tell her that on every other website that I went to after that, guess what was popping up on the websites? The very item that I was searching for on Amazon, and I realized, man, they are eavesdropping in on me. This morning I want to invite you to eavesdrop on me. Because the message that I'm going to deliver this morning really is a message that I want to preach to myself today. And I want to invite you just to listen in as I preach this to myself. Yeah, I'm asking you to eavesdrop in on this conversation. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer as we see what He has for us in this passage. Father, we thank You that, Lord Jesus, You are Emmanuel, that You are God with us. Lord, You have not left us abandoned. Lord, You have not left us without hope. Lord, You have not left us on our own. But, God, You have given us the Holy Spirit who resides in us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming. We thank you for suffering death on a cross and shedding your blood, taking the penalty for our sins on yourself. Lord, from raising from the dead, Lord, to conquer death. And Lord, sending the Holy Spirit, Lord, who not only lives in us, God, but but rules and reigns in our hearts and our lives and is greater than he that is in the world. So, Lord, we ask you to open this passage up to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Many of you are very familiar with this passage. And what I want to do, I want to walk us through this passage, make a few comments, and then the last couple of points really are more application to us in our life. The first thing I want us to look at this morning is Jesus' power demonstrated over demons and over Satan. And I would underline and say first and foremost that He alone is the only one that has authority and power and is able to rule over demons and Satan. And so we come to this first verse where uh, after Jesus had gotten to the other side of the shore, when He was in the boat with His disciples, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Genesis. 
Genesaret, some of your Bibles may translate. And when Jesus had stepped off the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He, meaning this man, lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles to pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Uh, as we're going to see in a little bit, the, the whole story with the pigs, where after Jesus had cast the demons out of this man, they went into the pigs. We're in a Gentile area, hence that's why they were pig farmers. They weren't Jews, because they would have been outlawed in a Jewish territory, but, but here they were in a Gentile area. And notice that as Jesus comes, there's this man that comes to him, and, and we're told that he was possessed by a demon or demons, and he was absolutely tormented. If you can kind of envision in your mind the most uh, tattered, the most uh, irrational, the most crazed kind of man, this is the picture that Mark draws for us. Mark tells us that he was living among the tombs, indicating to us that he was probably expelled from or on his own choosing went away from the village where he might have lived among the other people. And he was living where the tombs had been carved out of the, the mountainside there where dead people would be laid to rest. And he's there among them, could not even live among his own people. We recognize that as being possessed by multiple demons, this man had supernatural or superhuman strength. He was so strong that they weren't allowed, they couldn't even chain him anymore. And when they did chain him, he broke free from the chains. And notice it says that he cried out day and night. And although Mark doesn't indicate to us what he was crying out, I can only imagine that he was crying out as a result of his own torment. Perhaps he was crying out profanities uh, at, because he was demon-possessed. He was just a crazed man. Perhaps he was crying out that maybe he was sent from God himself. That's what a demon-possessed person will, will do. Notice the self-destruction. Satan, as always, and he does seek to devour whom he may consume. And so this man every day was giving self-inflicted wounds to himself and cutting himself with stones. We pick up in verse 6, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. Interesting. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you do to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they, meaning the demons, they begged him, Jesus, saying, Send us into the pigs and let us go into them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out of him and entered into the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Here we have the first recorded story of a swine dive. 
You'll, you'll get that later. Notice, if you will, when Jesus comes to this man, the, the demons, they're, 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 they're acknowledging, they're crying out, and the first thing they do is they acknowledge Jesus as the Most High God. You see, the demons recognized who Jesus was. Notice it didn't say Jesus, a prophet of God. Notice they didn't say Jesus, just merely a, 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 an angel of God, but they declare Jesus the Most High God, recognizing Him as God, very God in the flesh. Demons recognize and know who He is. Oftentimes, it's very difficult for men to recognize who He is. Why? Because Satan has blinded their eyes so that they may not see. Some are here this morning that perhaps Satan has blinded your eyes and you've not yet acknowledged Jesus as the Most High God. They ask Him, do not torment me. Recognizing and, and realizing that Jesus, God, was the only one that had power where they were in power to torment this man day and night. They had come against one that is greater than them. He who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Although sometimes we don't act like it, right? Don't torment me. And then Jesus asked them his name and they say, he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, the term Legion was used to describe a, a body of men that were in Roman soldiers. It's estimated in that time that a legion of Roman soldiers could have been anywhere from 2,000 to 5,000 men. We don't know how many demons were possessing this men. But using the word legion there, we know that there had to be at least 2,000 demons that had possessed this man. That kind of answers the question, how many angels can you fit on the head of a pen, right? There were many, over 2,000, that had embodied this man, had taken up possession had had possessed this man and causing him to do all of these things and so Jesus had asked what's your name the other thing I want us to recognize is that Jesus asked what is your name demons as we see not only here but in other places in scripture demons have names now it's not my business to go around asking a demon what's your name only Jesus has that authority so they asked him, what's your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And then they begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. You see, they recognized that Jesus had authority over them, and he had authority to send them out, not only to deliver this man from demon possession, but to cast these demons out of this region. And perhaps, I don't know, Scripture doesn't always indicate this, but it kind of leans to the fact that there may be certain areas there where demons have absolute control and they have freedom to operate and they're saying listen don't send us out of this region we've got a good gig going on here right and they begged him instead of sending us out of this region send us into the pigs and so Jesus cast them demons out and they go into the pigs and Mark tells us that they ran the pigs went crazy and they ran over a cliff and they drowned as they ran off and the immediate question is, why did Jesus send them into these pigs? Doesn't that kind of seem odd to you? 
But Jesus sends them into the pigs. And Scripture doesn't tell us, but I think there may be a couple of reasons as to why Jesus cast these demons into the pigs. Number one, can you imagine 2,000 crazy pigs going over a cliff and drowning themselves in the sea? I think it would make quite a statement, don't you? And I think Jesus may have had the intent to allow this to happen so that he would not only demonstrate to this man who is demon-possessed, not only demonstrate to these demons, but demonstrate to all of those in that area that he has absolutely, absolute power over demons and Satan. John tells us in his letter that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We, we know that He came to save mankind. But ultimately, in saving mankind, He destroys the work of the devil. Because the Bible tells us that we are either children of God or children of Satan. There's nowhere in between. And the ultimate power that He displays is breaking the chain of the penalty of sin in our lives and delivers a human being from that so that they might have the hope of eternal life in Christ. It's impossible to destroy a demon, although God could. But notice he didn't, he didn't destroy them. He didn't, he didn't do away with them because angels or demons, demons are just fallen angels, they are eternal beings. They're not like human beings who die, but they're eternal beings, and God has created them, them that way. Look at verse 14. Look what happened is this. The herdsmen, those others that were there in the area, those who were watching over the pigs, the herdsmen fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. All of a sudden, Fox News and CNN got a hold of what was happening here. Not really. But word spread. Can you imagine? You're a herdsman. You just lost 2,000 pigs. My, my uncle was a hog farmer. We only had a few hundred at a time, and that was massive. But if you'd lost 2,000 pigs, it would be a big deal. So he went all over the country, and the people came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there. And, it, and opposite, he was clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They're thinking, what in the world has happened that so instantaneously this man who is tormented, crazed, crying out day and night, breaking chains, tattered, tormented, ripped up, now he's sitting clothed and in his right mind. They began to beg Jesus to depart from the region footnote here, I think the reason they were begging Jesus to depart from the region because they didn't want to lose any more commerce. <laughs> oh, no, don't, don't kill any more pigs. That may be, I don't know. But as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might, uh, that, that he might go with him. But Jesus did not permit him, and he said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And now he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim Decapolis, that area, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This man had been touched by Jesus. What no one else was capable of doing, Jesus demonstrated his power to expel the demons and instantaneously this man was delivered from demonic possession and he wanted to follow Jesus. But Jesus tells him, no, I'm not going to allow you to follow me. Perhaps 
It was because he was a Gentile, and the time of the Gentiles had not come yet. We don't know, but I think maybe that Jesus wanted him to go back to the area where he was and begin to testify to God's mercy and all the things that God had done in his life. And that's what he calls you and I to do, right? I was in the hallway this morning with someone and talking. She was telling me about her son-in-law. And, and, and the situation sounded pretty severe to me. I mean, her words were, but we're praising God anyway. Called Miss Wanda Cook last night, who's still in the hospital. And the minute I got on the phone with her, she said, I guess I'm still in the hospital because I'm witnessing to everybody on the hallway. And if you know Miss Wanda, you know she's doing that. Testifying as to what God is doing in our lives. Can I encourage you with this? There is no testimony of what God does in your life, has done, and is doing in your life that is, that, that is not worth sharing with someone else. And that's the way we testify to God's goodness. And notice, Jesus said, testify to the mercy of God. You see, we all experience the mercy of God on a daily basis where we do not get what we actually deserve. Testifying to the mercies of God. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning, the psalmist said. He proclaims. Let's talk just a moment. This is not a teaching on demons, but I, I need to express a little bit to make us understand that that demons are nothing more than just fallen angels when satan rebelled against god the scriptures tell us that there were a third of the angels that went along with him that followed after him and the judgment of god was on, is on them and has been and will be fulfilled on them in a future date but they're just nothing more than fallen angels and not only do we see here, but we see throughout Scripture that demons can literally possess human beings. We see indication here as Jesus sent them into the pigs that it's possible that they would even indwell in an animal. Folks, this isn't just a story that happened back there and back then in the East. It happens today. Demon, uh, demons, Satan, have the same power that they had in that day. And demons do possess human beings. Those who are not saved. Those who have not been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. They take possessions of individuals and we see that they do in fact control them. Now, let me underline this, put a footnote here, make sure we understand. Scripture teaches very clearly that it is impossible for one who has been born again and dwelt by the Holy Spirit to be demon-possessed. If you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ and the Holy Spirit has indwelt you, you cannot be possessed by a demon. However, however, we find it clear in Scripture that we as believers can be incited by demon activity. You remember Peter when he comes to Jesus, when Jesus was telling what was going to have to happen to him. And Peter says, no way. And what was Jesus' response to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. So he can entice, he can incite believers. We find indication in Scripture that he can also get a foothold, if you will, and there's semantics in this, but he can, 
certainly have dramatic influence in the life of a believer so that we're under that control in that sense that we're influenced by Him, not possessed, but we can be influenced. Some of the gateways and openness to that is, is unconfessed, repeated sin in our life, etc., etc. There are a number of things, but although we can't be possessed, we can certainly give Him area and territory over that He might have deep influence and foothold into our lives. Satan's power is manifested in this world in a number of different ways. We're told in Scripture that he rules or he reigns over. Paul says his domain is in this world, meaning the cosmos, the world system. He certainly has power and rule and reign over that. Underline this, but it is only that God has delegated and allowed him to that. You see, it's not this idea that we have two opposing forces, God and Satan, and in the end we're just going to see which one out-arm out wrestles the other. God is ultimately in all power and control. Satan is just allowed to operate in this time. Some of the ways that we find that he operates, not only through Scripture, but we see it evidence, he influences world leaders. Satan and his, his demons, and we can certainly see that in some governments around the world to the extreme, and even those that are not extreme, trust me, he has those that are his agents that are there. Satan is always working with his demons to oppose the work of the kingdom of God. Can I clue you into something? We come here for our worship. Don't for a minute think that Satan and his demons are not operating if we are on mission with God. He will do everything he can and in his power to try to thwart the mission of proclaiming the gospel and the kingdom of God. He'll operate in some very... Listen, I tell people all the time, he is a lot more experienced than you and I are. We at least have some scruples, morals that we follow. He doesn't follow the same rules that we do. You hear what I'm saying? He would go to any extreme and any extent to try to destroy the work of the kingdom of God. We don't want to be naive to that. Yet we recognize that in the life of the believer, he certainly prompts us to sin. He tempts believers to sin. He encourages us as believers to have other idols in our lives, uh, to worship other things, to put other things before the kingdom of God. Satan is behind all false teaching that might be in the church. I had a friend call me last night in Tennessee, very distressed. And as he explained the situation to me that's going on in his church, I said, you know what you've got there? You have the enemy operating very, very strong. Is he works to split churches over petty little stuff. The stuff he was describing to me was petty stuff. Not questioning whether or not those that were behind it were not believers, but they've allowed themselves to be influenced by him and being agents of him to split and divide the work of God throughout the body of Christ. We definitely see his operating in secular humanism. 
you've traveled anywhere around the world, I've been to Haiti a number of times, and voodoo is not just something that is a, a joke. Or there is demonic forces that are very heavy and strong in these things. Let me kind of bring a point here. While I recognize and realize that Satan and his demons are, are very real, in my own personal life, oftentimes I'm not as concerned about that as I am my own stinking flesh. <laughs> right? He does operate. But the Bible is very clear, as James points out, that, that when sin happens, it's, it's because of our own desires. And when that desire is birthed, it gives way to sin. So it's my flesh that I've got to contend with as well. But let me underline this. We can be victorious in both of those areas. Now, am I coming up on 30 years of 28-something years of pastoral ministry? I, I have only seen a few individuals or come across a few individuals that, that I know for a fact, without any question, without any reservation, they were absolutely demon-possessed. I've come in contact with a number of believers at times that I know have been incited by Satan and his demons. And sometimes they are meaner than those who are demon-possessed that are not even saved. And so he operates in that way. We don't want to be blind to it. But on the other hand, I want to be careful that I don't look for a demon behind every bush. Scripture is very balanced in this. But there's good news for us. And that is that while he operates, while he has power in this world cosmos and he's moving against God and the church, the body of Christ and individual believers, we have a power that he has given to us where we might have victory over him. And so here's the second point I want us to look at. His, meaning Jesus' power in believers. We have to trust and depend on God and the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers to give us victory over demonic influence, demonic oppression, and all of these things that Satan might throw away. We can't do it in and of ourselves. Just like the disciples had no power to calm the storm, you and I, in and of ourselves, have absolutely no power over Satan and his demons. But the Holy Spirit who is in us, does. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, Paul writes this, as he's writing to this church. This is his prayer. He prays that the Father might open the eyes that they might see the riches of God's glory, and that... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. I have to recognize that I don't have the power to do that. Only God has the power to strengthen me and to strengthen you in our inner being. I can't will it to happen. It's God and He's the source of it by the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on to say this, that you may... Be filled with all the fullness of God. And you see, we, we know, we, we understand that we have the Holy Spirit and we must depend on Him. But can I tell you, there's a second step to that. Not only to recognizing we have the Holy Spirit, depending on Him, 
But we've got to allow him to operate. And we've got to loose him in our lives to operate in our lives, especially when it comes to demonic forces. You see, the world is Satan's domain, Paul tells us. Allowed by God. But we can't overcome him, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. The Scriptures teach us that the same power that has been given to believers by the Holy Spirit is the same power that Jesus used to resist Satan when he was in the wilderness being tempted by him for 40 days. It's the same power, Scripture tells us, that raised him from the dead. Now, we don't want to make a mistake and think that we have deity, but no, we have deity living, residing in us, and power has been made available to us. As Paul prayed, he said, God, three times I prayed that this thorn that's in the flesh would be taken away from me. By the way, Paul says that this thorn in the flesh was given to him, directed by, allowed by God to keep him becoming conceited in all that he had done. He said, three times I pray, God, deliver me from this. And God said this. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. And see, power by the Holy Spirit is depending on, relying on, and walking in, and trusting in the grace of God in our lives. Paul said this in reference to that. He said, I'll gladly boast, all the more gladly, of my weakness. Paul recognized that in and of himself he didn't have power over that, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's that time where we know that it's not in our power at all to do anything that he says, trust and depend on me. And that's where we have to trust. Paul said, for when I'm weak, I'm made strong. I remind us of Isaiah, said, no weapon that's formed against us shall prosper. Paul also writes in Ephesians, and we need to recognize that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We might fight with with flesh and blood, right? But in that passage in Ephesians where he talks about the spiritual armor, he makes it very clear that our battle is against forces. They're in the heavenly realms. That that's where the real battle lies. But it's His to do battle for us. A few times in my life in ministry where I've had real battles in this area of knowing that there's demonic activity or demonic, quite frankly, I think I'm in one of those seasons right now. I'm not saying that to say, oh, poor J-Mo. I'm just saying, listen, it happens, right? We face those times. The only thing I know to do when that happens in my life, the only thing I know to do when that happens in the body of Christ is to cry out to God and say, God, I don't have the power over this, but you do. God, I don't have the strength to deal with this, but you do. You shed your blood for your bride. God, work. Lastly, His power through believers. You see, one of the reasons that God has given us the Holy Spirit, the reason He resides in us as believers, is so that we might have effectiveness and what we endeavor to do to fulfill the mission that He's given to us. And it's by the Holy Spirit that we're able to have an impact in that. 
You see, effectiveness and impact, if it rests on human ability, it means nothing. But in spiritual work, which is the body of Christ, the, the church, the mission that God has given to the church, it is of spiritual matter, not physical, fleshly matter. Is that connecting? The world looks for results. The Bible doesn't indicate that God expects us to produce results. The Bible indicates that He has empowered us and expects us to work effectively and have an impact by the Holy Spirit of God through the body of Christ. And He has given that to us. And there are five areas, and there may be more, that, that I've found that, that are very clear that, that we need the Spirit's power to be effective and to have an impact in carrying out the mission that God has called us to. Number one is this. If you're filling in your blanks on your study sheet, is that to be an effective, to be an impactful witness of the gospel of Christ, we need the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 16, uh, 1, verses 16 and 17. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. You see, when you and I witness to the mercies of God, when you and I endeavor to have opportunities to share the gospel with other people, that if we're not depending on the power of God in that, and if we're just depending on our eloquency of speech, our memorization of different, the Romans Road or whatever it is, listen, that's the wrong thing to depend on. We've got to depend on the Holy Spirit of God as He works through the Word of God to convert souls. It can't happen any other way. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, He said, I'm descending, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Why? And you will be my witnesses. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. If we don't see effective witness in our life, the question may not be, are we witnessing enough? The question may be, am I depending and relying on the Holy Spirit of God to give me power so that I might be an effective witness of the gospel? Number two is this. In our work in the ministry, whatever it may be in the church where you serve, in the body of Christ, as we're working together in this mission. I don't care if it's a parking lot. I don't care if it's a greeter. I don't care if you're a Sunday school teacher. I don't care if you sing in the choir. I don't care if you play in the orchestra. I don't care if you teach the children. Whatever we might do in ministry, we have got to rely on the Holy Spirit of God to bring effectiveness and impact in what we do. You see, there should never be an engagement where we engage to serve or minister in any area of the body of Christ that we don't say, God, give me power, make this effective. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life doing a routine thing of ministry and not be effective and have impact through that. And it can't come through me, it can't come through you. It's got to come by the Holy Spirit of God. You're a Sunday school teacher. Never should you just crack open your Bible without depending on the Holy Spirit, not only to give you the words to teach, but to give the hearers the heart to hear. Paul says this, talking about his, his ministry and his work in the body of Christ, for, uh, Colossians 1, verse 29. He says, For I toil, struggling with all of His energy, 
that He powerfully works within me. And so the relying on the Holy Spirit is not an excuse for disobedience and it's not an excuse for hard work. But Paul says this, as he toils, struggling with all of whose energy? His energy that he powerfully works in me. Thirdly, we need power to walk as children of light in a world of darkness. May I say amen to that? Two quick verses. Galatians 5.25 If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Romans 8.13-15 For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body. Again, if, if I'm trying to put to death the deeds of my body through my own fleshly efforts, then I am producing flesh-wrought results. But it is the only, the only, only thing in your life and in my life that's able to give us power over the flesh, as Paul says here in this passage, is by the Holy Spirit of God. I might will it to happen for a season. But eventually, if I'm depending on my strength, sooner or later, that manifestation of the flesh is going to come out. Right? But it's by the Spirit of God. In this area of Satan, the fourth W that's on your study note, winning over sin and Satan, very similar to the other. Paul explicitly tells us in Romans 6, verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Clearly, not only in walking as light in a darkened world, but winning over sin and Satan and his influence in our lives, he has told us that he does not, he cannot, he will not have dominion only if we allow that to happen. But again, it's not dependent on our works, but we're dependent on God's grace operating in our lives for that. Remember what the scriptures say, that we're to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's not just resist the devil and he'll flee from you. There's a, there's a condition to that. He says, first, submit yourselves to God. You see, I get it backwards. I, I think sometimes it's in my own power and strength to resist Him. But it's not. First, I have to submit myself to God. Bow before Him. And resist the devil, and He'll flee from you. Lastly, the other area that Scripture indicates that we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit effective and operating in our lives is when we worship Him. Ephesians 5, last part of verse 18. Notice what Paul says here. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And then the, the connection here between these two verses, in the original language, gives the, gives the indication that, that this is a condition that we might... Address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in our hearts. 
You see, we can have the most talented, the most effective, the most grandiose music ministry anywhere around in worship. But if we're depending on those efforts alone, it will not be true and sincere worship that God is glorified by. We might structure around something that appeals to every person in the audience and everybody's happy. That'll never happen, right? Right, John? My, my response to that is that people that, believers that, that have that kind of mindset, forgive me. I, I, I have it myself sometimes. But that's when, I'm, that's when I'm in the flesh, concerned about me and not concerned about him. I'll get nervous. I'm not about to change everything. Somebody's going to start a rumor. I'm just simply saying, regardless of what the style is, regardless of what the fashion is, Jesus made it very clear in John chapter 4 that the Father is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Everything else the Father just rejects. He doesn't receive that as worship. Why? Why? Because it's of the flesh. The Father seeks those who worship me in spirit and in truth. And it's by that that he says in this passage in Ephesians that, that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God to worship him in that. Flesh can't worship God. A couple of concluding points this morning. Number one is this, that Jesus has all authority and power over demons and Satan. If you have been born again and you received the Holy Spirit of God, He has given you power that you might have victory over Him. Remember, we can allow Him to entice us, we can allow Him have certain influence in our lives. I say the way to keep that from happening is to keep a short confession list. Get before the Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts, our minds. You may be here this morning. You may not be demon-possessed, but you realize and recognize you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart. You can't gain that by more church attendance. You can't get, gain that by giving more to the church or giving more to any charity. You can't gain that by working more in the church. The only way you can gain that is by trusting Christ and the work that He's done to pay the penalty of your sins and ask Him, Lord Jesus, come into my heart today. I ask You to save me. I ask You to forgive me of my sins. I want to make you Lord and Master of my life. Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, save me. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.